lecture is taken from the graduate course Introduction to Charitable Planning at Texas Tech University. To download the PowerPoint slides for this lecture, or to take the online quiz for this lecture, or to find out more about the Graduate Certificate in Charitable Financial Planning at Texas Tech University, go to EncourageGenerosity.com. We're actually, we're actually going to spend less time on charitable lead trusts, um, even though they are a more com they can be a more complex vehicle. Because I just, I just kind of want to give you the the, 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 the the big pieces of it, uh, and uh, you can do lots of different things with it. But we'll get the general idea. All right. So what is a charitable lead trust? <clears throat> well, one version of it is. It's basically just the mirror image of a charitable remainder trust. Remember the charitable remainder trust that you had the uh, donor or some the donor's uh, heirs or whatever kids uh, getting these payments for a period of years or life and anything left over went to the charity? Well, this is the flip of that. Charitable lead trusts, payments go to the charity for a period of years or for life. It's actually usually for a period of years. Uh, and then anything left over can go back to the donor or can go to the donor's heirs. Okay? So that's the charitable lead trust, kind of a, kind of a mirror image. Uh, the donor, uh, th this one that's being modeled here is where the donor gives money from which a charity receives payments for a number of years or could be for life or lives. And whatever's left over at the end goes to family members. Now this, is called, this version is called a non-grantor uh, charitable lead trust. Why is that? Well, this guy here that's making the gift, the donor, uh, that's the grantor. That's the person who's setting it up. And we call this a non-grantor charitable lead trust because when it's all over, he doesn't get anything. Okay? He's not, once he makes his gift, he's done. He doesn't manage it. He doesn't administer it. He doesn't get any of the money. He's out of it. Okay? There is another version which is called the grantor charitable lead trust. And the only difference there is at the end of the time period, it doesn't go to the donor's family or heirs or friends or whatever. It goes back to the donor. We call this a grantor charitable lead trust because this guy that sets it up, the donor, the grantor, I mean, he or she is pretty much the whole show. Uh, puts the money in, he's going to get it back, he can manage it, can do whatever he wants with it. Right? He, he can be the trustee, he can, he's going to get it back, whatever's left over at the end, he puts the money in, it's basically his deal. And for tax purposes, we will actually just consider this to, to be uh, him. Uh, we won't treat it as a separate entity when we get into some of the tax rules. It's called a grantor charitable lead trust. Okay? So those are the two basic types of charitable lead trusts and, and how they work. I think it's helpful to think of a charitable lead trust as basically like a charitable remainder trust where the charitable and non-charitable beneficiaries switch places. Okay? So as I, as I <clears throat> mentioned before, throwing things around here, as I mentioned before, we just have the same people, but they're switching places uh, in the sense of who gets money up front over a period of years and who gets money in the end. That's the basic concept of a charitable lead trust. And let's see if I can function again here. There we go. Uh, charitable lead trusts are not as common as charitable remainder trusts. There's a lot fewer of them. However, they are bigger. Uh, so uh, on average, your charitable remainder trusts, and of course some of these are very large, so 
um, this average number is going to be higher than a, than a median or a typical number in both cases. Charitable remainder trust average is about $840,000. Charitable lead trust, $3 million. Uh, and so there's fewer of these, but they uh, tend to be bigger um, uh, because, and we'll see later why, why that is, because a lot of them are used strictly for estate planning purposes. Just as a reminder, charitable trusts by number, we can see 94% of all charitable trusts are in fact charitable remainder trusts. Only 5% are charitable leads, lead trusts. Uh, however, when we look at the amount of asset value, that 5% in charitable lead trusts expands to 16% because they're about three times the size of uh, typical charitable remainder trusts. Um, I thought this was interesting. This is where this is the kind of charitable beneficiaries in charitable remainder trusts and charitable lead trusts, uh, depending on which sort of area you're interested in. As you can see. Um, in most areas, it is, and this is just on a percentage basis, not on a dollar basis. It's the percentage of, of all of uh, the distributions from that kind of trust go to which of these organizations. Uh, education is very popular for charitable remainder trusts. But here, when we get over here to charitable lead trusts, you see there, and it actually goes a little bit more above 60%. Um, but again, whenever there's a conflict between a slide looking cool and you not getting the information, we're going to go with the cool slide. Um, the, uh, this is really high. So why is this really high? Well, it's high because I think, and this is speculation, I think it's high because a lot of these charitable lead trusts are set up where the ultimate beneficiary is the family foundation, the private foundation. Because private foundations are usually just, they're not specific to a particular topic, they're usually just public benefit. It's also the case because as you get higher on the wealth spectrum, the propensity for charitable giving in general goes up, but the propensity for creating your own private foundation goes up even faster. Uh, that's why, for example, there are people who are fundraisers or managers for nonprofits that have been sold this idea that uh, as the baby boom ages and we have this uh, massive transfer of wealth, that that wealth is uh, uh, through um, charitable estate planning is going to create a flood of resources to nonprofit organizations. <clears throat> the reality is where the bulk of that wealth is at the upper end, it goes into their own private foundations, which is just as likely to set up a competitor to your current organization as it is to fund your current organization. Uh, and I think that's probably why we've got this going on. Charitable lead trust, bigger dollars, bigger estate, bigger uh, estates where these uh, uh, become um, helpful. Do those family foundations usually actively seek other donors to contribute to their... No. No. That's, that's very rare. That's, why they're, that's one of the reasons they're private foundations uh, rather than uh, public charities because they don't have donors from other... One of the things you have to do to be a public charity is you have to have a broad base of donors, and, and they don't. So it's not just like competing for other donors, but because the family trust is set up, you no longer can get that family's money. Right. You can't, you can't get their money. It is um, basically if you want to get that money, then you've got to compete with other organizations uh, doing grant proposals to try to get some of that money out. And um, in some cases, though, it does create, like you can have people that will uh, set up a foundation that is there to support 
um, you know, to, I mean, if, if you're getting up to these dollars, if somebody wants to start their own college or university, they can do that. If they want to start their own um, um, uh, organization, they they can uh, they can uh, choose to do that. But you're right. By and large, they're not going to go out and start doing more fundraising, uh, compete in that sense. Okay, so what are some differences? We, we get the general idea, we swap places here, but what are some other differences between charitable lead trusts and charitable remainder trusts? Well, if you remember charitable remainder trusts, payments can be for life or lives or up to 20 years. Charitable lead trust, you do whatever you want. Pick any life, pick any period of time. You want to have it for 100 years, knock yourself out, whatever you want to do. Okay? In a charitable remainder trust, your uh, distribution uh, percentage had to be between 5% and 50% uh, of either the initial, which is your annuity, or the ongoing trust assets. Okay? Uh, with a charitable lead trust, don't care. Any percentage you want to pick, pick whatever percentage you want, whatever period of time you want. There's no restrictions. Okay? Other differences. Charitable remainder trust. There's no taxes on trust earnings because remember the charitable remainder trust is essentially a nonprofit entity. Okay, charitable lead trust is not. Okay, that means somebody's got to pay the taxes for any earnings taking place in here. Charitable lead trust is not a nonprofit entity like a charitable remainder trust. So that means that if this trust earns income, somebody got to pay taxes. It's got to be one or two people to pay the taxes. Either it's the donor has to pay the taxes, and that's in this grantor charitable lead trust where the donor is going to get everything that's left over in the end. Uh, if it's a grantor charitable lead trust, then the donor or the grantor is going to pay the taxes. Or if it's a non-grantor charitable lead trust, then the trust itself pays the taxes. So the trust earns income and it has to send a share of that to the IRS. So this is a big difference. Uh, that uh, between the two animals is that this bottom animal is not a charitable entity. It does have to pay taxes. The, the trust is not tax exempt with the charitable lead trust. Why would you like a charitable lead trust if you were a fundraiser, if you were a charity? Well, probably the number one benefit is the idea that it locks in that income. That if I have a major donor who sets up a charitable lead trust, that stream of charitable gifting is locked in year after year for the entire term of the trust, whether that's life for 10 years or 20 years. And I don't have to keep coming back and asking for it. I don't have to worry about him changing his mind and not liking us anymore. Uh, with most of these, uh, certainly most of these are the non-grantor uh, form, the grantor cannot come back in and change the, the charity recipient. If it's a non-grantor charitable lead trust, the, 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 grant, the donors not to have any involvement, uh, even with the administration or management of it. So that's a nice benefit. Why would a donor use a charitable lead trust? Let's take a minute, because I'm just curious if you can come up with any scenario in which this would fit some kind of a need. Why somebody, I mean, there aren't very many of them. When would this fit some kind of a need before we get into all the, 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 the tax law? So, so what I want you to do is to work with one or two other people around you and see if you can come
come up with something. Why would a donor want to use one of these? What's a circumstance? Okay. Okay. So, so let me inter interrupt you here for a second. Does anybody have a non-tax reason for why a donor would want to set one of these things up? Instead of, okay. Go ahead. Right. So you want the charity to, to get an income stream. Okay. Well, when you get Lauren had this, you get the enjoyment of watching the charity use your money. Right. You get to see the impact that it makes right now. Yeah. Uh, probably because you can set the term of years for less than 20 or life. Okay. Um, for all three of the comments, how is this better than just writing a check every year? Don't have to write the check. Don't have to. It simplifies things. You don't have to make Yeah, no, not so much. Okay. You know what? Um, I can't think of any reason to use this trust except for taxes. This is purely a, a tax strategy, okay? I, I, now, with the remainder trust, I gave you all like four or five different reasons why somebody might want to do that. I want to benefit them, but I don't have you know, money. This is pure tax law, as far as I'm concerned. I didn't come up with it. I was hoping somebody you would come up with, well, here's a scenario. I, I don't know. For me, it's just all about tax law. So let's talk about some tax law. Okay, there are two kinds of these trusts. There is the grantor charitable lead trust, and in the grantor version of it, we basically ignore the trust, and we just treat it like the grantor still has the control of the money. So that means the grantor uh, does get a deduction up front for the amount that he's committed or she's committed will go to the charity over the period of years. So that's a good thing about the grantor uh, charitable lead trust. However, any future income that that charitable lead trust gets will be taxed to the donor. If the charitable lead trust earns it, the donor is going to be taxed on it. So Which, you, that's like dividends, interest, all that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it just shows up right on the donor's tax form. No separate filing, no separate uh, uh, entity. It just shows right up on the donor's tax form. The remainder... Uh, if, say, the donor dies, that remainder uh, amount uh, is included in the donor's estate. Uh, so if this was, uh, uh, if this was for, peer, for life, when the donor dies, whatever that remainder amount is, it's taxable in the donor's estate. Okay? That's why usually we have this set up where it returns to the donor after a period of years um, rather than for life. So you do get a tax deduction up front, but any future income you get taxed on and you get estate tax for whatever amount you're going to get at the end. Okay? There is the other kind of animal, which is very different, called the non-grantor charitable lead trust. Now, the bad thing about this is that the donor can put $10 million into a non-grantor charitable lead trust, and his income tax deduction is zero. There is no income tax deduction for putting money into a non-grantor charitable lead trust. However, future income is taxed to the trust, not to the donor. The trust has to pay its taxes out of its earnings. 
and the remainder does not go into the donor's estate. The donor does not have to pay any estate taxes on that remainder. Now, the donor does have to pay gift taxes on the uh, current value of what will ultimately, the estimated, you know, the present value of uh, what it is estimated will ultimately be received by the donor's heirs, but whatever the donor's heirs ultimately wind up getting is, is not in the, in the donor's estate. So, two different kinds of animals. Let's look at how those uh, two animals could come into play now that we are talking about tax characteristics because this is why we really use them is for their tax characteristics. Right, so um, probably should have put that up on the list. The trade-off here is whenever the trust pays out money to the charity, since the trust is its separate taxpayer now, it gets a charitable deduction for when it pays money out to charity. So that, is, uh, um, that, that would be a good bullet point to uh, put, put up there, is that the donor doesn't get a deduction, but whenever the trust pays out to the charity, it gets a deduction. Uh, if it is set up as one of these, um, the grantor has no rights to this trust. And that includes the grantor cannot keep the right to change which charity is receiving. You could, theoretically, I don't think there is, there's anything that would prevent you from allowing the trustee to move the, to change what uh, what charity is going to receive, but most people don't do that because it's the donor that sets it up and the donor's right to sort of control where it's going to go is up front. And so usually these are to a particular group, individual or group of charities. Uh, if they're changed, it couldn't be some change that was influenced by the donor or created by the donor. This one, the donor can have all the rights to it that, that uh, he or she wants. And so in that one, the donor could regularly change which charity it's going to. Yes. As its own uh, the taxpayer, mm -hmm. is, is the trust also subject then to the income tax limitations on the deduction? Normally, no. There's one spe the only time that it is, and we'll look at it later, the only time that we care about that is um, if it has unrelated business income, then we're not going to whack it 100% like the Charitable Remainder Trust, but we will s limit the deductions of unrelated business income wh when and if they're paid out to the, to the, to the charity. Uh, so the general rule is no. There's no percentage limitations here on what that kind of trust pays out. So if it pays out all of its income, it doesn't pay any taxes. Okay. So let's go to a scenario where we would want to use one of those. Guy says, I give regularly, but right now I need a giant deduction to offset a big spike in income this year. Maybe I'm going to sell something. Maybe more likely I'm going to do a Roth conversion. I'm going to convert my million dollar IRA into a Roth and I've got a million bucks of income this year. I need a big honking deduction to offset that. Uh, or maybe I got a big bonus or whatever. Well, this is a great way to do that. Because essentially, through the grantor version of the charitable lead trust, what the donor does is they commit to making, say, 10 years worth of gifts, $10,000 a year. 
and they get an immediate tax deduction for that entire 10-year span of gifting. Now, of course, they have to set aside enough assets into this thing to prove that they, you know, they're actually going to deliver on it. But it's really a cool thing because you can have a donor that immediately can deduct all of that future giving that's going to take place okay, uh, in the grantor version of the charitable lead trust. And so that is a, uh, that is a uh, nice benefit here. So if you think about it this way, we've got the donor, makes the initial transfer and says, um, the, uh, and it, this is usually for a period of years, like 10 years. Uh, so for 10 years, we're going to pay out this income to charity. Anything left over comes back to me. We take a look at, we project how much is the charity going to get over that period of 10 years. We take the present value of that projected amount uh, and we immediately allow the donor to deduct the present value of all of those future projected payments. Yeah, it's the same uh, 7520 rate that we've used all semester long. That's your discount rate. Okay, so right now, 2% a year. That's your discount rate. It's one of the reasons why these weren't real popular and now they're becoming way more popular because the numbers change when the interest rate changes. Because my deduction is based on the present value of this, say, $10,000 a year. Okay. That $10,000 a year is going to be worth more on a present value basis with low interest rates, and so I get a bigger deduction. So, so these are a little bit more popular now. So this is a big deal. This is a cool thing to be able to do. That the, that there, because as far as I know, there's really no other way that a donor can say, I'm committing in advance that I'm going to give $100,000 a year for the next 10 years, and I'm going to deduct right now today the present value of that whole stream of future charitable gifts. Now, I've got to prove I'm going to do it by setting aside these assets into the charitable lead trust uh, for that period of time, and whatever's left at the end I get back, but I can take the whole deduction right now. So if I am given $100,000 a year, and I've got... Yeah, so, so let me talk about this. Uh, so so uh, let's run an example. I give property to fund a $10,000 a year gift for 20 years through a 20-year grantor charitable lead annuity trust. That returns whatever's left over to me. I get to deduct the present value of that $10,000 a year for 20 years based on the 7520 rate. The reason why these charitable lead trusts for these purposes are becoming more attractive is because of this difference. If the uh, interest rate we had to use, 7520 rate, was 8%, What's my deduction from that commitment? Well, my deduction is $98,181. If the 7520 rate is 2%, like it is right now, lowest in history, my deduction increases dramatically um, because of that uh, difference in the 7520 rate. So I can, right now today, if I commit to give 10 grand a year over the next 20 years and I set aside enough assets to prove I'm going to do that, I can right now today take a deduction for $163,515. So that's really cool if I have a big chunk of income and I need to figure out some way to offset this thing, this, uh, you know, which right now, how is that happening? It's happening through Roth conversions because we only got a few more months left where you can do that 
and you convert all of that into a Roth from a standard IRA, all of that counts as income to you and people are looking into these things um, because of their ability to generate a massive uh, income tax deduction right up front. Okay. What we're going to do is we'll talk some more about tax implications and then we're going to uh, do uh, a little bit of a case study that I want you to work on here uh, in, in the classroom. But let's go ahead and take uh, our second break here and we'll get back together in 10 minutes at about 32 after and we'll talk um, about the other kind of charitable lead trusts and their tax advantages. Okay. All right. All right, let's, um, let's talk some more tax law, and then I want to hand out a scenario we can uh, spend a little bit of time with, hopefully. Uh, okay, here's another situation. Now, we just talked about this, and this is a really cool thing that you really can't get by any other means. If you need a gigantic tax deduction, uh, and you can get one for your future commitment uh, to, uh, to what you're going to do. Here's another scenario where this could be useful. You have somebody that says, I want to donate income from my assets, but I'm already way over the income percentage limits for deductions. So you've got somebody that's already, you know, uh, we're giving from assets here, so they, they don't have a whole lot of income, so they've already given way more than the income that they have. Would you shut the door? Thanks. You, they're, they're already giving way more than the income that they have, and their carryover, maybe they have five times as much carryover as they have income. You know, they just can't get any deduction for that. So you got somebody that's completely maxed out on giving, but they say, well, I'd still like to you know, give some of the income that I earn off of uh, assets, but I'm not getting more deductions for it. What can I do? Well, it turns out that the donor can move an asset to a non-grantor charitable lead trust. So this is the one that's its own taxpayer. It's, a, it's its own organization. The trust pays income taxes, and it gets a deduction for charitable distributions. However, because this is a trust, these income limits are irrelevant. We don't care if, the IRS doesn't care if this trust earns uh, $100,000 of income and it pays zero taxes because it pays all of that income out to a charity. So it is a way, if you happen to have a client who has made a big transfer, a big charitable transfer, to, uh, to nonprofit organizations from assets, and it's way bigger than their ongoing income. It's a way that you can still get some tax advantages for the giving because what you're doing now is you're taking this income from the donor's assets that they would have been receiving themselves, paying taxes on and not be able to deduct the giving. But instead now the trust is receiving that income the trust does not have to pay income taxes on it because it's paying all that income out to the charity or to the extent that it pays the income out to the charity. Yes? When the donor initially moves those assets to mm -hmm. the non-grantor, yes. doesn't he take an initial deduction? No. So that's, the, that's going back to the difference between these two animals. This non-grantor, the donor gets no deduction for moving money into it. However, the trust itself gets a deduction whenever it pays out to an actual charity. This version of it, the grantor version, is the version where the donor gets a deduction. So the question is, you got to pick one or the other. Either the donor gets the deduction when he or she moves that money into the trust, or the trust gets a deduction when they move that money down to the charity itself. You get to pick one or the other. can't have both get to pick one or the other. Now in this case, we don't want to pick the version 
Let's see if I have my two versions up here. Um, we don't want to pick this version because it gives the donor a tax deduction, and our donor can't use that tax deduction. She's already over her limit. Okay. So instead, what we want is we want this version where there's no tax deduction here, but whenever the, the, uh, the income is earned here, whenever that income is earned there, uh, the trust pays taxes on it, but not if they give it out to the charity. So that's where the tax deduction winds up being is a tax deduction from the trust. So in this case, we like it because we've got a donor who can't use any more tax deductions. So what we do is we put it in here and the trust itself can use the tax deductions. Yes? Can you annuitize the remainder as trustee of the CLT to spread out the, the uh, remainder distributions to the, the heir? Uh, so are you saying, can you set one of these up so they don't get it in one lump sum? I don't, um, that, uh, so, so the, the answer is normally, okay, so the answer is going to be probably not. I haven't looked up to see if there's any private letter rulings that say, can we do this where what they get is not cash, but it is in fact a life annuity. I don't know. So that's not the normal way they're set up. I'm not sure if it would blow it up. I think, I mean, I guess it's possible if you said what's going to come out here at the end will be in the form of an annuity, a commercial annuity. Um, would there be any tax They wouldn't pay taxes when they receive it. No, it's a gift. And so there would... Well, because in this, in this version of it, um, the, the trust pays taxes on any income that it earns. So, so it's already, um, the taxes has essentially already been paid um, because whenever the trust earns it as the trust grows, it's paying out those taxes. Unless it's a capital gain, in which case they'll get property that's a low basis and then whenever they sell it, they'll pay that. Kind of sounds like that would start to be a hybrid between a charitable lead trust and a charitable remainder trust. If, yeah. Except because they're getting a stream of income as well as the charity, so yeah, you know, I guess what you could do is if you wanted to do that, you could direct in your document that the trustee should own uh, basically this annuity, especially if it's a period of years. At the end of this period of time, the trustee should convert all assets into a commercial annuity. And then essentially at the expiration of the trust, the donor gets everything that's in the trust, and at that point the donor would get a commercial annuity that's in the trust. Um, and uh, I guess they could sell it if they wanted to, if it was a stream of income, if it was just on there, or try to redeem it. So I guess the more I think about it, yeah, you could probably draft that in there. Because basically at the end, this dies and the donor gets it, or the, the heirs get everything. Okay. So you could direct the trustee that what needs to be in here when it dies at the end of the 20-year period is this kind of an asset. It dies, you get whatever's in there. So, yeah. So, I think you probably do that. So, just thinking through that out loud there. It's the reality of we're getting sort of into the fringe of these things where it's not everything's guaranteed and approved, and we'll look at some more fringe things in a moment. So, you kind of have to think through. If I was the IRS, what would I think about that? Would I like it? Would I not like it? Would it create problems? And then you start looking at private letter rulings and some other things to try to guess. Um, okay. So where are we at? Okay, so that was the other cool thing you can do with it. 
Um, the uh, you make the trust the taxpayer. It's not subject normally to those uh, limitations on income, uh, on on giving, and so it can deduct all of its income. All right. Now we go to uh, probably the biggest reason why these are used, and this is for gift and estate tax. All right. So. Um, okay. So just before we get into this, the, the concept you need to know is that. Um, if you have a lot of wealth, uh, if you transfer something, either because you die and you leave it in an heir or you transfer it over as a gift to other people, um, there's a big tax on it. Uh, let's just assume it's half. It's actually more than that uh, for most of these estates starting January 1, but government's going to take half of whatever you transfer over. So it's a big deal, all right? So that's the, that's the summary of estate planning for these purposes. Okay. Here's the big deal and why big dollars are put into these things for estate planning purposes. When you put in money into one of these kind of charitable lead trusts, and this is the kind, the non-grantor kind, where this is its own taxpayer, donor has nothing to do with this once the donor is out of the, out of the, makes the transfer, and whatever's left over goes to the donor's heirs. Okay. With this kind of charitable lead trust, when the donor makes that transfer into this separate trust that is its own taxpayer, at that point the donor has made a gift. The donor must pay taxes immediately on the value of that gift. So when the donor makes this transfer, the donor at that point, right then, as soon as he makes the transfer, has to pay gift taxes question is how much? Well, what we do is we make a projection and we say how much do we think is going to go to the heirs? And once we make that projection, then we pay gift taxes on the present value of the projected amount that's going to go to the heirs. Okay? Now, it turns out that we pay the taxes up front based on that projection. We do not pay any gift or estate taxes based upon what actually winds up going to the heirs. Okay. It's that difference that can allow for some relatively massive manipulations that are, um, that are tax advantage. Now, when we project the value of what's going to the heirs, say this is a 20-year trust. Okay. Uh, for 20 years, it pays out to charity. Uh, we can estimate how much the trust is going to earn. And by the way, right now, how much are we estimating the trust is going to earn? 2%. That's the current rate. So we estimate that over the next 20 years, this trust will earn 2%. Okay, And we say, okay, the trust is going to earn 2% and pay out whatever the fixed annuity is usually what we do is, and how much is going to be left over at the end of that period of time? Okay? We make that projection based on 2%, and that's what we pay gift taxes on. Okay? Now, you probably already figured out how the game works. The game works this way. If the actual amount that you pay out to the heirs is higher than the projected amount this month using 2% as your estimated growth rate, this difference 
goes to the heirs completely tax-free. Let's look at an example. The projected remainder assumes investment growth at the 75-20 rate. That's 2%. If actual growth is greater than the 75-20 rate, the actual remainder will be greater than projected, greater than what we paid taxes on. So what do you do? What do you put in that basket? You pick the assets that you think are going to grow very rapidly. And believe it or not, most people who have a whole lot of wealth can do a pretty good job of telling you what is it that has a low valuation right now, but in 20 years, you're pretty sure is going to have a high valuation. Okay? Those things exist. There are assets like that. Of course, when you're using 2% as a return rate, those assets are just about anything other than, uh, no, just about anything. Um, Except for two-year treasuries. I mean, I was getting ready to say just about everything except treasuries, but if you take out a 20-year treasury, it's more than 2%. It's 4% or 3.9, something like that. Uh, so, I mean, you can't... It's Okay, so you choose the fast-growing asset to put into the charitable league trust. So let's take an example. If I set up one of these and um, I put in $10 million using the current 2% 75-20 rate, and if I'm going to make a million-dollar charitable payments for the next 11 years, what is the projected present value uh, or the, the, the projected uh, remainder at the end of that? I did that wrong. That's supposed to be even smaller because mm. that's the amount that's actually going to be left over. That's not the present value of it. Uh, so small, okay, smaller than that. Um, yeah, it actually, it would be about, well, let's say it's about 200, 200,000, okay, 190,000, all right? If the assets that you put in there didn't grow at 2%, if they actually grew at the phenomenal rate of 8% over the next, uh, over the next, uh, uh, the 20-year period, if we average that out, uh, so the return is similar, the actual remainder will be $6.6 million. Okay. So this is why this is a big deal. We pay a gift tax on a transfer of really what should be around $200,000. Um, and just to let you know the mistake that I made here, I just realized it as I looked at it, this is the actual dollars that will be left over projected at the end of the 11-year period but we pay gift tax on the present value of those dollars, which would, which would make it a little bit lower. But I just wanted to throw an example so you get the point as to how you can transfer what the $6.4 million with zero estate taxes on the whole chunk, except for that little bit. That's why a lot of times you'll set these up as zeroed out, where the estimated amount going is like $10 or whatever, so you essentially pay no gift taxes. And if you beat that 2% growth rate, all of that goes estate tax-free to the, um, to the uh, um, uh, donor's heirs. If that was the total estate, then the heirs were left with about $6.6 .6 million as opposed to, and I guess there have to be charitable 10 because the 10 can grow to 20 and 8% growth rate, which meant they'd still have the heirs yes. of 10. Yes. Yeah, there does need to be charitable intent. 
But if you're making gifts anyway, and you want to make gifts anyway, then this looks pretty cool. So what was the uh, 7220 rate back before uh, 2008 on average? Well, I mean, it's... You know, it's it's uh, it's varied with time, but in general, it's gradually come down each year since the 1980s. Oh, really? Yeah. What is it tied to? Yeah. It's tied to T bills, T bonds. It's a mix of those rates. Yeah. Not that this will even matter with numbers that big, but do you get the 13,000? Right. So, so the question is, um, I'm making a, a, a gift tax. Uh, can I take that $13,000 a year? what's called the annual present interest gift exclusion. The key part there is present interest. Um, this is future interest. They don't get it till the future. So no, you can't use that. It's not, it's not a present interest gift. It's a future interest gift. Yeah, no, you have to pay taxes on that. You can't, can't subtract that. All right. So there we go. Projected remainder of uh, 265 is taxed. It's actually the present value of that 265 at the end of the 11 years. 213,000. Thank you. So we pay taxes on 213,000, and that paying taxes on 213,000 allows us to transfer 6.6 .6 million that's not taxed. Uh, and again, you do need to have charitable intent. I d don't get like. Um, so excited the point that you're putting people who have no charitable intent into these. Um, well, be, because you can do a similar thing. If you start with that original 10 million and it's growing at 8%, you're going to have a whole lot more giving yeah. your heirs than 6 million. Yeah. It's like the kind of thing Hitler could give to the Jewish Foundation. There is actually a similar animal in non-charitable estate planning that allows you to make the same kind of bet. Um, the only difference, one of the differences with it, however, is that the donor has to outlive the term. So if you set up a 20-year charitable lead trust, um, the, uh, um, uh, it, it works regardless of when the donor dies. Okay? If you set up a 20-year, uh, what's called a grant, we won't get into it, but it's just the point is, if you have somebody with no charitable intent, there are other ways to get around. They're not as cool as this. They've got some downsides, but you don't have to, you don't have to give to charity. You can still make the same kind of bet. You know, I think the, the best thing is when you start with a donor and you're looking at, or I'm sorry, you start with a client and you're looking at where, do you, where does he or she want his stuff to go. Just start out by asking, look, there's only three places that your stuff can go. It can go to people, it can go to government, and it can go to charity. You tell me what percentage that you want on each of those. I think that's the best way to start out the conversation before you start throwing techniques at them and numbers and savings and all that. Just start out with that. There's only three places your, your, your money can wind up when you're doing a plan. It can wind up going to people, it can wind up going to... Uh, charity, or it can wind up going to government. And you put the percentage next to that. Because if somebody writes down that percentage, I can then do a whole estate plan to try to, you know, first I can say, okay, this is your goal. Let me tell you what your percentages are going to be right now based on what your plan. Okay, right now this percentage is going to go to government because they're going to take, you know, whatever, half, 55%. Um, whatever it might be. This percentage is going to go to charity. None, because you haven't done a plan. And this percentage is going to go to people. 
And so then you start with their pie that they put the percentage on, and then you start trying to modify it from what they currently have to get it to fit into that. I think that's the best way to have the conversation. So you don't start talking charitable things before somebody's answered where do they want the stuff to go at the end. Okay. Uh, yeah, I already said that, right? Right? Where are you? Oh, oh, no, this is something different. Sorry. There is one other thing that you can do here. There's two ways to game the system. One is you put stuff in that's going to grow faster than the 75-20 rate. The other is this projection is based upon your payment, which is usually an annuity, a uh, fixed dollar each year that goes out to charity, but it can be four years or life. Um, the gift taxes are paid on the present value of the projected remainder that goes to heirs. Remember, the gift taxes are not paid on the actual remainder that goes to heirs. If you have payments to charity for life, what's the other thing that can change the amount that will be left over at, uh, for, the, uh, for the heirs? Yeah, yeah. Payments are for life. The projected remainder is based on normal life expectancy. However, if the actual length of life is less, the actual remainder will be greater than projected. Um, so let's play this game. In order to... Okay, so the bottom part is the IRS rule. The measuring life, a measuring life cannot be used if there is at, this is a quote, if there is at least a 50% probability that the individual will die within one year. Okay? You can't use that person. You can't use the tables if you've picked a measuring life for somebody who has at least a 50% chance of being dead in 12 months. Okay? However, and you could try to prove that through medical you know, testimony, whatever. However, if that person actually le lives at least 18 months, then we'll assume this doesn't apply. We'll assume that it was all good, they lived 18 months, so we're going to assume that there wasn't at least a 50% probability that the individual would die within a year. Now, what happened for a while is you had companies that would identify people who we're probably going to make it about 18 months. And at one time before the new set of regulations came out, there was no limit on who could be a measuring life. And so they would identify people um, that, you know, probably about two years what they're going to live so that you could set up a trust on their life as the measuring life and use the life expectancy tables. So you get somebody who's 25 and has, um, has uh, advanced AIDS, and you get their white blood count, and you say, probably going to make it about two years, maybe two and a half, okay? You use the life expectancy of a 25-year-old for the amount that's going to charity, okay? So this is getting back to your, if you don't really love the charity that much, right? You use that life expectancy, but when that person kicks off, then everything else goes to the heirs, uh, and it goes uh, based, and you've only paid gift taxes based upon what should have been left at the end of, say, six, uh, 55 years or whatever. Okay, but instead you transfer what's left at the end of two years. Now, in order to combat that, the regulations came out that said, "Okay, look, here's the deal: the measuring life can't just be anybody." 
measuring life or lives can include the donor, any ancestor of the remainder beneficiaries, or spouses of either of those. So you can pick the donor, you can pick the donor's spouse, you can pick uh, anybody who's an ancestor of the heirs who are ultimately going to get it, or their spouses. So you've you got to keep it in the family, either the donor's family or the beneficiary's family, which is generally the same family. The measuring life is um, this thing here. Charity gets payments for either a set number of years or life. Whose life? That's the measuring life. Okay. So before you can just pick someone's guy you've never even met. Exactly. Really? Yes. And it turned out for some reason the IRS thought that was abusive. <laughs> Go figure. And so they... <laughs> so they... They passed the regulations that said, no, you've got, you got to pick somebody in the family. But, you know. Um, if you do have somebody in the family. <laughs> Death and taxes is fun. Okay. Yes, all right. All right. So, enough with that. Uh, we talked about what kind of property a charitable remainder trust can hold. What kind of property can a charitable lead trust hold? Uh, actually, more kinds. Uh, a grantor charitable lead trust can actually hold subchapter S corporation stock. Why? Well, because the grantor subchapter S, the grantor charitable lead trust, we're just treating it as the grantor himself. Grantor pays taxes on any income it earns. We're just pretending it's still him. And so, fine, if you want to put that into your grantor charitable lead trust, that's fine. You're, you're going to get it back at the end anyway because you're usually the remainder uh, uh, interest holder. It doesn't have to be, but usually is. The donor is treated as if he still owned all grantor CLT property, so it's no problem having subchapter S. The non-grantor charitable lead trust shouldn't be a subchapter S corporation shareholder. It's possible, but if you do that, you have to make an election. If the trust is treated as an owner, the only way that it can be an owner and not mess up the subchapter S rule is if it takes an election that eliminates its ability to take charitable deductions. So basically, no. What about unrelated business income? Uh, you know we didn't like that with the charitable remainder trusts. That was a bad idea. Unrelated business income, where the charitable lead trust is running a business, such as owning a sole proprietorship or partnership, instead of being a passive investor, if you've got a grantor charitable lead trust, no problem. This is not a, char a charitable entity. This is just the grantor that we're treating as if it's still a grantor, and so fine, we don't care. Okay, so no problem there. Um, it's a little bit weird, but still okay with, uh, usually, if you earn unrelated business income in a non-grantor charitable lead trust, the only downside is that that income can't be deducted above the income giving limits if it's given to charity. So there's a limit on how much of that kind of income you can give to charity, that the trust can give out to charity. So it's kind of a pain, but if you got other things to give out to charity, it may be okay. Um, it's, it's more probably, unless that's your only asset. If it's your only asset, that, that could be a hassle. 
but it's not, it's an annoyance. It's not the killer like charitable remainder trust. You put it in there and the 100% taxation and all that. So not too bad. Um, income or gains from debt finance property is unrelated business income. We're not like the charitable remainder trust. There's no special tax on unrelated business income in a charitable lead trust, so we don't get hammered. Okay, so let me end with this, and then we'll look at a case scenario. There's a thing that is sometimes called a super trust. Yes. Its original name was a defective grantor charitable lead trust, so I think after so many years of having that negative image, those that dealt in this decided we need to call it something different, so they call it a super trust. What is the idea of a super trust or a defective um, uh, charitable lead trust? Okay, you remember we've dealt with this all evening, grantor charitable lead trusts has these characteristics, we like the deduction, but we don't like this other stuff. Non-grantor has these characteristics. We don't like that we get a deduction, that we don't get a deduction, but we like all this other stuff. The super trust says we get the good stuff from both kinds. We get a deduction when the money goes in. And when we earn income, we get another deduction when we pay it out to the trust. And the remainder is not included in the donor's estate. So that's the idea of the defective grantor trust. It is an attempt, and I would still categorize it as just an attempt. It is an attempt to get all the good things from the both halves. Right? Now, I will say that the defective grantor trust, or super trust, as I mentioned, it attempts to mix characteristics of the two kinds of charitable lead trusts. It might work. It's one of those things that follows the language, but the question is, who's going to win at the end of the big court battle? And the answer is, we don't know. Um, for a risk-averse client, you might want to leave the super trust in the phone booth, but for the client that is more aggressive and doesn't mind that he or she might uh, posthumously have to do battle with the IRS and Bill lots of hours to your uh, firm. Um, if you're a law firm, then you go with the super trust. And you try to claim everything, and then you fight it out in court. It's an example where the language itself supports this, although the intent was never there. Okay, So, answer is, is it being used? You bet, it's being used. Uh, will it work? Could. So we don't have a case. So, so we don't know until we get a legal battle that gets to the appellate level, and then we'll know better what the law is. We do not have that yet. So some people have proposed it, and some people are using it. So when you claim a deduction, and what comes at the end is the IRS can either accept it or deny it in a particular case. If they deny it, you can either say, oh, okay, or you can say, no, we're going to court because we think you're wrong. If you go to court and think you're wrong, then the tax court decides, and that's what we don't have yet. 
So the language in the trust would be basically that of the non-grantor trust, yes. except the donor would claim a tax deduction in the year that he gives Right. So essentially the way you set these up from a drafting perspective is you create a non-grantor trust. You give the grantor a specific right that makes the grantor con be, the, uh, be the controller of the trust for income tax purposes, but not the controller of the trust for estate tax purposes. So you try, to, you try to do something that says, yes, this is him for income tax purposes. No, this is not him for estate tax purposes. And you try to simultaneously hold both of those characteristics and say, take that IRS. I'm sure there are some people out there that think that's worth a shot. Absolutely. Especially people that are billing by the hour. Because that's right. That's right. Okay, so what I want you to do now is get back into your groups you had before, and I'm going to give you a case scenario, and I want to see if you can um, come up with some ideas. And you can use anything that we've done all semester long, um, you know, from a, uh, uh, from a uh, I don't know what all we've done all semester. You can use any of that stuff. <laughs>